Um, the, uh, according to the service order, the Memorial Day prayer video was supposed to be before I came up and started praying, um, but I'm such a creature of habit that when the worship team stops, I just think it's my turn automatically. So um, thanks for those back in the back there that have had uh, a difficult morning as it was just because of some technology stuff, and then I threw an extra curveball in there just, just for fun. Um, but I appreciate them. Uh, today we continue and uh, pretty much wrap up. Uh, other than, like I said earlier, next week is Pentecost Sunday in which we celebrate the church receiving the Holy Spirit and having the ability and the power to actually live like Jesus, to be transformed, uh, to live lives like Jesus. Um, but this week as we, we start, um, have you ever really thought a lot about how Jesus, it says in the scriptures that Jesus at any point when he was headed towards the cross could have called down angels and stopped the whole thing? Right? He had at his access, in his power, in his control, the ability to free himself from death on the cross. Um, there's various points in scripture that highlights that, but um, Jesus had a mission though, right? His specific purpose that was driving what he was doing. And so while he had the, a power and the ability to do something different, he was committed to the purposes and the mission that God the Father had laid out for him. The ability to do something doesn't mean that that is what God is calling somebody to do, right? Those are, can be two different things. Um, in the common vernacular, just because you can do something doesn't mean that's what you should do, right? And Jesus' life is a perfect example of that. He had access to divine, holy power and control and submitted uh, to death on the cross. But the reality is, as we look at Jesus, he redefines for us some concepts and some terms about the way the world works, right? So when we look at Jesus and say, well, he was uh, arrested, he was beaten, he was executed on a cross, the reality was that he was completely free of anything that would hinder him from doing what God called him to do, right? And so we, we throw this word freedom around sometimes and we confuse it with the idea of power or ability or um, autonomy. But in, in the case of Jesus, in his story, he was free from anything that would have prevented him from being obedient. Right? There was a moment in the garden where he was, he was wrestling with that. There was fear, anxiety, um, maybe an expectation of what was to come for him as he went before the authorities. But in that, even in that moment, he prayed, not my will, but your will. And so our scripture story today challenges us to look at freedom and salvation through the filter, through the lens of Jesus' life, through the lens of the kingdom of God, right? Um, to look at how some followers of Jesus lived like Jesus. Um, our scripture today, it's a, it's a pretty big uh, chunk of scripture, but I do that intentionally sometimes because number one, um, it comes up in the lectionary that way and I, I follow the lectionary uh, most of the time. Um, but also it's good to have a big picture of what's going on in scripture, right? Sometimes you can take a verse and it's important. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Sometimes you can take a word and spend an entire day on a word, but the story sometimes helps us understand what's going on. And this is one of those weeks where the larger story is important. Um, are the slides working? 
All right. I just want to make sure we're, it's, it's been an adventure for them back there this morning. Um, <clears throat> Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. Uh, you can follow along on the screen or on your Bible, um, even on your phone if you have an app. Or if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under the chairs. Uh, feel free to use those, obviously, in service. But if you need a Bible, take that with you. Um, we'd love for you to have one. Um, Anyways, uh, Acts 16, starting in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are, over, are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in stocks, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirit, we pray that you gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. I'm going to do a quick recap of that story. Like I said, it was kind of a big, lengthy uh, bit of scripture there for a, a Sunday morning sermon. Um, so I'll do a quick recap. And as I do, ask yourself one question. Uh, who in this story is free? Not who has power, not who has control, not who can make other people do stuff, but who is free and who is not right the disciples were going to this place of prayer if you were with us last week um, this 
scripture's lesson picks up. It's the very next verse from our story last week. So if you remember last week, uh, Paul and his group went to uh, Philippi, which was a uh, Roman uh, colony in Macedonia, which is a, a, a Greek. It's in modern day what would be Greece today in ancient Greece as well. And if you remember last week, they went and met Lydia at a place of prayer. That's how the scripture this week starts off. They were heading back to that place of prayer where they had met Lydia. Um, Philippi didn't have a large Jewish population, um, no synagogue. So when Paul and his group went to the city, um, they didn't have like a, a target. You know, Paul's practice, most of the times he'd go into a city and he would go preach on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Well, Philippi had such a small Jewish population, they didn't have a synagogue. So they just went to a place where some people prayed. Last week, that's how they met Lydia. This week, that's where they were going when the story happened. Um, Today's scriptures comes right after, like I said, after that story of Lydia and her household becoming followers of Jesus and the church being born probably in her house there. Uh, They're still in Philippi. There's still no synagogue. There's still a Jewish population that is pretty small in the midst of this Roman colony. And on the way to that place of prayer, they encountered this girl who was enslaved by two men, but also possessed by a spirit that allowed her to tell the future. Some other Bible translations uh, do something different with the the phrase of uh, spirit-possessed or demon-possessed, right? Some of them say she had a spirit of divinization. Uh, Some translations will say she had a special spirit, Um, some translations will say she had an evil spirit. But if you, if you alternate between different Bible translations, you'll see that translated a couple different ways. <clears throat> and if you think that's weird, there's a reason why it's weird that these different translations would have such a varied translation. Because in the Greek text, the language that this story was originally written down in, um, it's none of those words. The literal words in the Greek text translates that she had a spirit of Pythana, or the Python spirit. Told you, it gets, it gets weird. Um, Philippi is a Roman colony located in Macedonia, but it was an ancient Greek city. Right? And if you know anything about ancient Greece, you probably know that they had a mythology that kind of gave an overarching story to their lives and their understanding of the way the world worked. In Greek mythology, Python was this large snake, as you probably guessed, that was killed by their god, Apollo, who had a sanctuary in the city of Delphi. Have you ever heard of the city of Delphi? Maybe the Oracle of Delphi? The Oracle of Delphi was probably the most important shrine in ancient Greece. Starting in like 1400 BC, this was a place that people would go to from all over, all over Greece, but all over uh, the region would go to Delphi to approach the Oracle to hear a word from the oracle about what to do, what the future held, looking for wisdom, looking for direction. There was this um, priest, this group of priest, priestesses um, called the Pythia, and you'd go and you would approach them and they would help you divine your future, understand what was coming. They had a fortune-telling uh, function in the oracle of Delphi. And so about 300 miles away, from the Oracle of Delphi is this girl that's enslaved by these two men, and the Bible says she had a spirit of Python. 
the, the same spirit that allowed the oracle of Delphi to have its great power, the thing that drew people from all over the place to go to Delphi was found in this girl in Philippi. And these two men owned this girl. You can start to understand this is kind of, it's a bigger deal than just a, a girl being demon-possessed with some rando spirit-like type thing, right? Like, it's not random. This is a big deal. Like, if, if, if you had the internet uh, and only one person in the whole world had access to it and you had to go to them to access the internet and then somebody 300 miles away said, well, I can tap into it. This is a big deal, right? You have access to something that nobody else had access to. 300 miles away from the oracle of Delphi is this enslaved girl who had the same spirit as the priestesses that ran this most holy shrine. So most Bible translations help us understand this girl's situation. They don't want to go into all the Greek mythology in, in a huge explanation. Like, There's no way to do that in a brief sense. So they translate uh, spirit of Python and they just tell us what it means. It means that she could tell the future. She had fortune-telling um, abilities because of the spirit um, and I share all that today because I want us to understand that Philippi wasn't neutral territory. It wasn't ambivalent. It wasn't, am, am, you know, just a, a neutral space for these Paul and Silas and his group to go into. This was a Roman colony that was wrapped up in Greek culture and mythology, and it had an extremely small Jewish presence. Paul and his disciples, when they arrived in our story last week, they make the first disciples of Jesus there. Again, this wasn't neutral territory. This was a Roman colony wrapped up in culture of, in mythology of the Greek culture. When Paul and the disciples proclaim Jesus, they aren't proclaiming that message in a, a culture of atheism or secularism. It's, it's not, you don't have a God, you don't have a belief here, believe in this one. But when they proclaimed it, their, their way of, of preaching about Jesus confronted the culture's religious commitments and their allegiances to these idols and these practices that were strongly held in the city. Like I said a few moments ago, remember that Paul's way of preaching uh, Jesus in a city, he would enter that city and he would go to the synagogues on the Sabbath for, for three times um, and proclaim the, Je the Jesus message that Jesus was Messiah, he'd proclaim it to the Jews first. He wouldn't go to the other temples. He wouldn't go into the city trying to uh, directly confront the idols. He wouldn't show up in the city and try and take it over. And, and do all that. He would go to the Jewish people first and say, hey, look, you're Messiah. We know his name now. Um, he's this Jesus guy. Here's his story. He knew his mission was to share the good news of the resurrected Jesus as Messiah. He tried to stay on that mission. But then there was this enslaved girl with this python spirit following around, and she was forced to use the spirit to make money for these men who enslaved her. And as she followed Paul and the disciples in Philippi, prophesying about who they were, and it appears that she was correct, this was a, these men are announcing how to be saved and serve the Most High God, right? Uh, the scripture says that Paul got annoyed with her, which is it's just funny to me. It wasn't like she was wrong. It wasn't like she was doing something evil. Uh, he just got annoyed with her and cast out the spirit. Um, and hopefully our little Greek mythology lesson a moment ago about the Delphi, you know, the oracle and the, the priests 
priestesses. Um, help us understand the slavers' actions here, these men that, that owned this girl. Um, it wasn't just that it was a bad spirit. It wasn't just that it was an evil spirit. It was the python spirit, this powerfully important spirit um, <clears throat> connected to their religion and their culture, connected to the, the foundation of the city. Um, and it was a spirit they were able to leverage for their own wealth. And Paul cast out that spirit in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean he say to, said a prayer and at the end he said, in Jesus' name, amen. When, he, when it says that he cast out in Jesus' name, he means in the authority of Jesus. That these, Paul and his group were, were ambassadors. They were representatives of King Jesus. They bore the name, the authority. They were there on Jesus' behalf. The authority of Jesus as a fully authorized representative of King Jesus. That's what they were doing. And so you could ask the question when, when one of these men spoke, Paul or Silas, somebody said, do this. You could ask the question, well, who, why should I? Um, why should I listen to you? And the response is because we're telling you to do it in the name of King Jesus and he is the king over all other rulers. Right? So that's what's going on here. He casts them out in Jesus' name through his authority as king of all creation. And so with this spirit cast out, the men realize that their source of income is now wiped out. This special situation that they had, this, this girl with this powerful spirit is gone. And so they drag the disciples to the marketplace to face the authorities. So this is definitely a cultural conflict that's going on here. Paul and Silas are, are Jewish people and they're in a Roman colony. Um, this is a religious conflict. They're saying Jesus when everybody else is saying Apollo or Caesar, right? So there's a religious conflict. But it's also an economic conflict, right? Because uh, where did they drag Paul and Silas to to go be judged? To the marketplace. Not to a temple to face religious leaders. Not to a court to face, you know, social legal issues, but to the marketplace. They were disrupting the financial economic situation of the city. And the first accusation that, that is levied against Paul and his group is they are Jews. They are outsiders. They don't belong. They are not part of our community, right? Then they are accused of disrupting the city with unlawful practices, which I'm not necessarily sure what they're referring to there. Um, they were, these guys were upset that Paul cast out the demon, so we're assuming that's maybe what he's referring to. But the crowd in the marketplace joins in attacking these disciples. <laughs> the leaders had Paul and Silas beaten and imprisoned in basically a maximum security prison, right? It says uh, they were put in stocks. They were put in the innermost cell, so like think of a prison in the innermost side, like farthest from the exits you possibly get, and they were put under careful watch. They had a jailer that was watching them. Um, so in this point in the story, like Paul and Silas, you've lost. It's over, right? Men who had more power than you, men that falsely accuse you, men that beat you, and now you are locked up in the most secure prison. It's done, right? Obviously, you can no longer carry out your mission in prison, right? You're no longer free to do what you feel called to do. You can't do that in a prison, right? I mean, this was the end. As long as they were in prison, they weren't free to do what they wanted to do. They would have to be outside the prison 
to do what they were supposed to do, right? Their freedom had been taken from them. So it would seem because Paul and Silas didn't see it that way. In prison, they continued to sing hymns and praise God and continued to pray. And so this is the the truth that they have for us today. And I I hope we can get our our minds wrapped around this this morning. I've got a slide for the screen. Is it? There it is. This is what Paul and Silas knew. Freedom in Christ is not the same type of freedom that the kingdoms of the world offer us or celebrate. A worldly prison has no effect on Paul's and Silas's ability to be faithful to the mission of God. They were in prison according to the, the status of the world. They were not free men, and yet they were still free in Christ. Um, the freedom they found in Jesus was not a freedom that meant they could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's not the freedom that they found. Rather, freedom in Christ meant that they were free to follow God completely. There was nothing that could get in their way of being faithful. There were no barriers preventing them from being faithful to God. Fear, hate, sin, prejudice, race, gender, physical suffering, prison, they, none of those things were going to be barriers to their faithful obedience. They knew that in the resurrection, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. They knew that they were able to live free from the power of sin and death. They knew in Jesus was victory in freedom. They knew that they were free to follow Jesus completely. They were free from things, free from sin, free from death, but they were also free to Jesus, free to a life of faith to King Jesus. See, they knew that everyone serves a king or a god. That was their foundational starting point. They knew that, that, that everyone serves a king or a god. Freedom wasn't understood as as being free from having somebody ruling over you. It didn't mean that there wasn't some authority that guided or shaped your life. Rather, freedom was being able to pledge your allegiance and your faith to one king or one God with full obedience and full fidelity. They were free because nothing could stop them from following and being faithful to King Jesus. And how do we know that? How can I make that claim? The earthquake happened while they were in prison. They were singing and praying and there was an earthquake and the doors uh, of the jail came open and their chains broke loose. Yet Paul and Silas remained in the prison. Wouldn't they have run for their freedom? Wouldn't they try to escape from this city? They were at risk. They were, uh, had been beaten recently. They'd been thrown in jail with little hope of ever getting out on their own. But the truth is they knew they were free to be faithful to God even in prison, maybe even especially in prison. And just like Jesus had had nothing in his life that was hindering him from following what God had sent him to do, what the Father had, had laid in the life of Jesus when he sent him, Paul and Silas were free to stay faithful to what God called them to do. They were so free in Jesus, so free in Christ, that they stayed in the jail. They were so free in Christ that they explained to a jailer how to be free. Do you see the irony there? Do you see what the, the author of Acts is doing? These men in prison were explaining to a jailer what freedom was. 
how to be saved. They were so free in Christ that they were able to share their faith with this jailer. They were able to baptize him and his entire household because the jailer believed and had faith in King Jesus. How many people were saved and experienced new freedom in Christ? Because Paul and Silas were so free that they could stay in the jail despite having an opportunity to escape. Could you imagine what would happen today if we had a bunch of Jesus followers who lived that same way? Right? As, I, as I started this, this sermon, I asked you to pay attention to who in this story was free and who was not. The first character we encounter, the enslaved girl. She had the power to tell the future. Like, that would be nice to have. But was enslaved to make money for some men. The men had the power to make the enslaved girl do what they wanted, but they were so bound up in their idol worship of wealth that they were willing to enslave a girl for their own benefit. And they were so wrapped up in this idol worship that they would falsely accuse Paul and Silas in order to pursue money. The rulers in the marketplace, these men who judge and decide the fates of people, they were in charge, they had the power to punish people, yet they sent innocent men to jail in order to maintain their positions of power because they had to keep the peace and keep order at all costs or they would be replaced by somebody who would. The crowd at the marketplace, we see in the story that they had the ability as a group to influence their leaders, to hold them to account, to, to shape that, those decisions that those leaders made using their collective power. Yet the fear of outsiders, of strangers, of these Jewish men caused them to demand innocent people to be punished. The jailer, prior to hearing the message that Paul shared with him, was doing his job the best he could because if he failed, he would rather be dead than face the consequences of what his boss would do to him. And then Paul and Silas preached Jesus. They worshiped and prayed, whether they were at the place of prayer, whether they were in the streets, whether they were in prison. Who in this story was free? Who was free? Who was at peace and experience joy regardless of the circumstance and situation. I mean, who would you rather be in the story? If you had to insert yourself as one of those characters, who would you rather be? It's remarkable in a story that had someone who could predict the future, uh, a story that had wealthy men, and a story that had powerful rulers, stories that had this influential mob, um, and, and this jailer who, who was given all kinds of power through his employment, in a story that had all those characters, the characters I would most like to be are the men who were beaten and thrown in jail. Those are the heroes. The heroes were not the people who had the power, the wealth, or the control, but rather the men who were subjected to false accusation, to physical violence, and wrongful imprisonment. Even while sitting in prison, they were freer than the most powerful people and wealthy people in this story. What would it be like to be that free? How would your life or your family or your community be different if you experienced that level of freedom in Jesus? 
And so this is the invitation for us today, based on this, this story, looking at these characters and, and trying to slot ourselves into the story, asking who would we most like to be like? If you find yourself looking at Paul and Silas going, yeah, those are my heroes. I wish I could be that free. That regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the environment around me, that I could be about what God has called me to be. To the point that, given the opportunity to escape my situation, I, I'm not going to take it. The invitation for us today is for all of us to ask God to help you identify. Help us identify and remove the things that keep us from being completely free Free from faith and allegiance to him. Not free from faith, but to keep us from being completely freed to have faith and allegiance in him. Seek out God's help and strength to remove these things from our lives that keep us from being free to Jesus. What keeps you from a deeper faith? What keeps you from obedience to King Jesus? What keeps you from not feeling free in the prison? Maybe it's pride. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Maybe it's fear. What would happen if I surrendered control? Maybe it's hate. I don't want to share my faith, my life, my space with those people. Maybe it's sin. I just can't follow Jesus as well as I'd like because I'm distracted and misled by sin and it has power over me. Maybe it's allegiance or faith to other kings or other gods or other idols. I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me something, as long as it doesn't cost me my identity or my membership in this kingdom of this world. Maybe we have competing allegiances. Maybe what's preventing us from following Jesus completely is apathy. I simply don't care what Jesus is calling me to do. Maybe it's busyness. I would do what Jesus told me to do, but I just don't have time. And usually busyness is connected with insecurity and fear of not being enough, of not doing enough, or being vulnerable in front of others. And all these things can tie into circumstances and situations, right? I mean, you could have any one of those barriers that comes from your family of origin, from your community that you find yourself in, could have feeling vulnerable because of health or financial stuff. Like, I'm not trying to pick on anybody or anything. I'm just trying to put language to that which is keeping us from following God wholly, entirely. Because the truth is we can know information about Jesus. We can know a lot of information about Jesus, but still not experience freedom. Right? We can still be enslaved to the things that draw us away from God and away from the mission that he has for us, right? We can know all kinds of things. We can know the, the scriptures front to back and still not be free from the things that draw us away from God and his mission for us. And so that comes back to our invitation for today. Our response to this story should just be asking God to help you identify and remove the things in your life that keep you from being completely free to follow Jesus. And that's why, as, as Hannah mentioned earlier in the service, and I'm going to do it again here as we uh, conclude the sermon part of our message, but we have two prayer kneelers, prayer altars at the front. And as Hannah says every week, this one on my left is, if you just want to come and pray, 
And the invitation today is, is, I mean, obviously you can pray for whatever you want to, but the specific invitation as we wrap up the sermon is ask God to identify and remove the things that keep you from being free to him. Um, This one on my right, if you come and pray at that one, I will meet you there. I'll ask you, how can I pray for you? And we will pray together, specifically asking God to help you overcome whatever it is. And if, if there's too many people here and there's a, like a line waiting for pastor to get there, I know that there are other people in the congregation that will come and ask you that same question. How can I pray with you? Those are the two altars. That is the invitation for today. As a pastor, I want nothing more for you. Nothing more, nothing less than to be completely free to follow Jesus to live the life that he has called you to, equipped you to, and prepared for you. And so, that is the invitation for today. I'm going to pray as the the worship team comes to lead us in the time of response. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your disciples stayed in prison even when the doors flew open. Give courage to those whom you call to stay where you have led them, even when it's confusing or dangerous. Your spirit was present and your word proved transformative even behind the doors of a jail. Be present and transformative for all who face an uncertain future and deeply know their need of you. Give your church today a fresh outpouring of your spirit and make it a blessing to all the children of your earth until the completion of your son's ministry becomes the completion of your whole creation. And you are all in all One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.